Hello, everyone. This is Mark Thompson with the Chief Executive Podcast. You know, every week I have the opportunity to speak with people who are transforming organizations all over the world, from the most powerful companies to ministers of governments and then those who may be working tirelessly out of the spotlight on how to engage in having high impact in an organization. How is it that you really can bring people to the party and drive the change to be owning the future and transforming the way they're doing their work in ways that have the greatest rewards and have the greatest impact on society. Today, we're delighted to have Pei Mei and Anne talk about how to engage your workforce. And from the standpoint of two epic brands, Ecolab and Kraft Heinz, how is it that they are transforming the way we show up at work and how you can have your teams contribute in more powerful ways? I've learned so much from these two leaders about the progress that people are making to find their own self-worth and their development as it's integrated into what they do in the company every day. And when we do these things on Zoom, it's 24-7. <laughs> Sometimes we have everybody in the room and we hope to be able to do a lot of that in the future. And yet, I think what we're looking at is um, the hybrid model. And this is something that you and I have talked about in the past. I'd love to hear a little more about what your view is about the combination between the in-person and the uh, in the universe uh, setting. I know that for so many years here, there was always a group of people in many regions and gl global points around the world who never could be in the room all at the same time or very rarely could be. So now almost I feel when we were forced by the pandemic to bring everybody onto Zoom, we were almost more inclusive for a moment there. But yet we're so hungry for that human content. Pame, what's your feeling about this, this hybrid that we're, might be the new normal? I think that you hit the nail on the head. There's so many different options that, have, that we have at our disposal. And while before the conversation was about kind of what can we do and what people want and some people really attached to being in the room and face-to-face -face learning only and others were more uh, proponents of e-learning, we have um, in some ways been forced to, to try new things. And I remember, you know, about this time last year, having conversations with my team and us saying, well, do you think in Q4, we're going to be able to travel and trying to figure out if we were going to have, you know, travel within some of our high, uh, our high potential or nomination based programs. And we just kind of linked arms and said, you know what, let's just make the call now and let's redesign our program. So they're all virtual. And you know what, if best case scenario, something happens, great. But if not, we don't have to be in this limbo and so, you know, as learning professionals saying we want, we, I, I told my team, don't apologize because sometimes you get on the line and people, I'm so sorry, we're not in the same room. I, I wish this could be face to face and virtual is not as I said, no, we're not going to apologize. We're going to make this awesome, just like we would if we were in a different medium and having done that now have the full breadth of, of options and, and going forward to say, what are we going to do based on the learning experience we want to have versus what are we going to do because we can or can't to do one or the other and so I think going forward, the learning and the and the and what we're trying to have people uh, experience will drive the decisions around how to do it and what what uh, medium to use. I love the intentionality of being inclusive because I felt that there was quite a few people left out in the earlier conversations in a digital format, and now we realize as we even if we're postage stamps on a screen that we were still calling out 
who's in the room and what they could be contributing to the conversation. I think at Ecolab, and you've talked about a hybrid as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I would um, echo a lot of the remarks that Pame made. You know, I think that working digitally has not, you said it beautifully, it's not something to apologize for. If anything, I think we've been able to deliver in some cases better outcomes. And, and here's what I mean by that. Um, you know, the first is scale and access. So when you think about how many people you can have in a live leadership development program, you're constrained by silly things, travel budgets, the size of a room, um, calendar and time zone differences, et cetera. And you're able to really rethink those constraints in very different ways um, that allow you to have scale and access that you couldn't have in a physical experience. And in fact, we more than tripled the number of managers we were able to get through our first line manager course last year at a time when it would have been very reasonable to say, we're just going to pause. Nobody's learning this year. We're focusing on, you know, those most essential emergency areas. And we saw um, learning and development spike, not only the number of people that went through these courses, but the variety and range of, of experiences we were able to offer. The second is around, um, for lack of a better word, I'll say intimacy. There is something about connecting with people in their homes or in personal spaces that are meaningful to them that I think creates a level of trust and connection that frankly, um, you can't build in person. Of course, those are valuable experiences. Of course, we all look forward to the days where we can hug someone or see them in person or more accurately re reflect their body language and understand you know, their full, their full communication. But at the same time, it's not a total loss. There are things that you learn when you see a little one toddle in the background or um, a new puppy who's joined the family or even an interesting piece of art that tells a story that's meaningful to the person you're talking to. I find that to be a really special thing. And then the third piece I would say is cross-culturally, I do think that there are physical distances in many of our locations. We're in 170 countries where we do business. We have employees on the ground in over 100. And so um, the fact of uh, being connected in a more intentional and frequent way um, it has been, I think, a wonderful, wonderful benefit. We used to run cohorts by geo, and now we run cohorts um, sort of irrespective of that. And you're getting this wonderful cross-cultural global experience that frankly, one might go their whole career in many roles without actually having access to. Uh, so I really celebrate those things. I can't think of a time in any of our careers where we haven't met more of the kids yeah. or uh, been in a position where it was appropriate for me to ask a chief executive, is that your bear on the shelf? Because he's beautiful. And <laughs> I could get a whole litany about his experience as a new dad uh, yeah. and uh, the, um, the, the depth of that intimate set of remarks tells me a little bit more about him that I actually didn't know in the past or had maybe felt I could ask uh, in the past. So that was the other dimension of this that I thought I was doing a program here for our series with Enrique Lores, uh, the new his first year as a chief executive was quite a crucible being through all of this pandemic. And uh, he was talking about how he really relished the idea that he could reach out to every region and be touching them every week. And uh, that was a new dimension that hadn't really even been imagined in a digital age that we live in. And they're a tech company. When you both think about now the next phase of our journey and thinking about high potential 
executives, Peme, you mentioned earlier too about the high potential program and Ann, you were talking about it as well. Could you define for me now for chief executives and C-suite executives, what it is to be a high potential executive? Are you talking about it that way? And uh, what, what does that mean to you now? Because you're at the tip of the spear. You're out there with our most talented people, helping them get every bit of experience and helping them get better at what they do. But what, what's your thinking, Pammy? It's really interesting that you, that you picked on the, uh, that, that moniker high potential because I'm in the process of changing those words to nomination based for some of the programs, just because mm -hmm. high potential is, is loaded, right? High potential versus what, right? And so certainly we want to make sure the right people get the right development at the right time. And we're very clear about which people and what roles drive our, our, our enterprise strategy and they get the right uh, development at the right time. Um, but certainly we have programs that are for our senior leaders, um, various things like coaching or putting them through a program at, you know, at, a, at a, a named business school or a program that will help them develop their leadership skills, but also making sure that throughout each of the functions that we're determining what capabilities and what skills each pro professional needs to have from you know, those who just came out of the trainee program or interns or you know, are starting their career all the way to the top of the house. And so I think people do drive um, success, right? We, you know, one of our values at Craft Time is we champion great people and we're very aware of that, making sure that everyone has the right development to do what they need to do in order to move the, the whole collective forward. Mm. And you mentioned that you had more people actually going through programs like this than ever in this, this last year. What, what, what's your feeling about this idea of uh, really developing our, I guess, our greatest hope for talent in the company? Yeah, I, I agree. Not surprisingly with everything that my colleague Pame here has said uh, once again. So um, to, to maybe add to her remarks, I would offer a couple of things. One area we're focusing on a lot at Ecolab, and it'll resonate, I think, um, with the stories at Kraft Heinz, is how do we sort of create individualized learning maps. You know, this idea that we have to think about all of our associates from a capabilities and behaviors perspective. So what are the skills and abilities we need them to have in um, a time where our business model is shifting, our operating model is shifting, our customers' requirements are shifting, our culture is shifting. And then what are the behaviors that we think will be important for them as they move into bigger and more complex roles throughout their careers? So we're really focused on both. And to, make, to Peme's point, the, the from two looks a little different from all, for all of us. And so um, we've been spending quite a bit of time focused on those most critical capabilities that we need to build. For us, those largely live in our sales um, organization, as well as in creating um, more digital capabilities throughout the company. And then from a behaviors perspective, we're focused on making sure our first line managers are the very best in the world. They have large spans of control and we have both a, a significant supply chain in our organization, as well as a large field-based team um, selling both street and corporate accounts business. And so those first line managers are the face of our company to their large teams, you know, who live all over the world, as I mentioned, making sure that they're extraordinary is job one in driving our growth and making sure that we retain and engage our, our, our employees. So those are two areas of us, our focus for us for those reasons. So capability focused on those critical needs that we have and then behavior focused on those really essential populations. We of course, as Peme mentioned, do learning and development throughout career stage, have a very focused executive development program. Um, and one of the things that we've been focusing on a lot 
is helping leaders who are transitioning into senior executive role mm-hmm. understand the way that their job changes and becomes a lot more ambiguous, a lot more cross-boundary, uh, a lot more sort of externally oriented, and a lot more focused on growth, you know, really starting to create the learning experiences and conditions for success and agility in first-time situations has been a, a pretty important focus for us over the past, I would say two years. And then last year reminded us it's pretty important and we better get moving uh, on those things. If, if 2020 didn't teach us about agility, I don't know if we're paying attention. Right, the, the, the approach that you're taking to this, I'd love to unpack just a little further. Could you talk about that last course in terms of what it involved? Because that transition, that deciding what's next yeah. is really part of your end game in deciding to invest in people and having them make great choices that are motivated, that light up their skills and their passions and, and maybe enough self-awareness to know the difference uh, between those two. Could you both talk about this, uh, this idea of that getting them ready for that more senior role. What, what are you doing in that particular course, Anne? Well, we spent quite a bit of time helping them, um, you know, to use maybe an overused cliche, uh, pull back and kind of widen the aperture of how they see the, um, the context for their work. You know, I think you can go a pretty long way in your career without really having an appreciation for an enterprise or ecosystem context. We are rewarded, and you talked about this a little bit at the top of the hour, we are rewarded frequently for expertise and what we are able to drive individually, either on our own or through a team that we control, right, that they report to us or with whom we work closely. And as you sort of transition to that next level, so much of the work moves from clear to ambiguous, from control to completely out of your control um, and really working through influence um, from internally focused in many ways, or if externally focused, perhaps more narrowly so, a specific segment, a specific customer target, a specific candidate type, if you do the kind of work I do, to a far broader context of stakeholders. You're looking at a a much broader stakeholder map. You have to navigate trade-offs and interests as you think about the work. Um, The idea of not only working through your team, which has been important for these leaders probably for some time, but also working through a matrix in an organization. Our companies are big and global and messy. And so figuring out how to do that effectively and, and how to build the trust and the currency that you need to drive work forward are all really important skills that frankly, at that transition level, Many haven't had to practice, or if they have, uh, the consequences for not doing it well were pretty minor. But moving into these roles, the consequences become significant. And so you wanna make sure that you're setting them up, giving them the self-awareness and the, uh, the tools um, that they need to navigate those new challenges effectively. That, that shift in the consequential nature of what is the impact that you have as you get into more senior roles, as opposed to the more individualized sort of agency you have over more specific tasks and outcome at a junior level and the ambiguity that also comes with this larger aperture that you're talking about is something yeah. that I've heard Pam A share in the past too. When, when you're helping these most senior people or those people get into the C-suite, what, what, would, what would you share in terms of your, your advice there for the C-level folks and then also what you may be doing in your programs uh, around that to get people ready? I mean, one of the things that I would totally co-sign that Anne said was the whole idea of becoming an enterprise leader and changing your perspective as you move into a space where you're not, you're not responsible only for the success of your function, but also thinking about 
the totality of the experience across the business, right? Which is, it can be challenging, right? Because there are sometimes trade-offs that need to be made where you think as a leader, boy, this would be great for my team, but is it great for the company? And how can I weigh all of the the, uh, the, the, the things that the perspectives so that I can make the right decision for the company. One of the things that we've done that was, has been really great. And we're just about um, celebrating a, a year of rolling out a new company purpose. Let's make life delicious, which I love because who doesn't want to live a delicious life. And of course we're a food company, but that word delicious can apply to, you know, our stakeholders, our, our customers, our consumers, our, the communities in which we serve. Um, and our new values, making sure that we have a set of values that everybody can say that they can make real um, our leadership principles. And so when you talk about becoming an enterprise leader, certainly not only enterprise leaders or C-suite levels at the top of the house can be culture carriers. Everyone should be a culture carrier, uh, but really making sure that our leaders understand that, yes, we expect you to deliver results. That's table stakes. That's the price of entry. You make it happen. We have goals. We have targets. We have a strategy we're trying to execute on. But the how is so important. And to speak about leadership in one voice, that if I ask any leader in the organization, what do we expect of leaders at Kraft Heinz? They all say the same thing. And we say work as a team, inspire excellence, navigate our future, and have a very repeatable and memorable set of leadership principles um, and habits and activations. And so uh, when you talk about how to prepare um, senior leaders, uh, those who are at the top of the house, to be enterprise leaders, one of the things that's important is to determine, well, what's important to us? What's our purpose? What are our values? What do we stand for? What do we expect of leaders? What do we expect our leaders to model for the rest of the organization? So that it's very clear that it's not, um, it's not making decisions between driving results and how you do it. It's both of those. And the expectation is to drive results in a way that we all agree is the way we want to show up in the world as a company. I, I'm loving how you both inspire this idea of the genius of the and, as our professor at Stanford, Jim Collins, said way back in the day with this idea of good to great being about having the audacity as an individual to think you can do better and must, and then the humility uh, or the, um, that uh, willingness to learn and engage with others because nobody gets anything done worthwhile alone. And so much is said about teamwork, but not about those two coming together where we have the table stakes are for these mutually beneficial outcomes of the organization, for the purpose, as you say, of the organization. And I, I would love to be on a delicious mission. Uh, I mean, who, who wouldn't want to, to aspire to that? And yet how we do that is through a collective set of efforts. Could you both talk about what it means to be a team today? Certainly lots is said about collaboration. And I think often there's confusion about co collaboration just meaning compromise. <laughs> and right, it's not, as it turns out, compromise over the delicious objective of the company. Uh, it isn't compromise in terms of the values that need to be held up, um, but it is collaboration towards sometimes uh, vigorous conversations towards the outcome and the many different ways we could get there. <laughs> and that's, that ends up being uh, the, the, the big crucible for everyone. Could, could you both talk about what it means to be a team and, and your opinion of what collaboration means, because it's not about losing yourself, it's about being included. Pamé? Yeah, sure, I will, uh, uh, I'm happy to speak about this. I think we talk, I mean, we definitely talk about the power of we, 
and moving from me to we, one of our, our, our values is we, we own it. So of course, sometimes ownership feels very much like I've got the ball, I'm running in this direction and, and I'm not really necessarily talking to anybody else because I've got an objective. <laughs> right. And that's not exactly. actually what ownership can mean when you're, when you're working with a team. If I'm working with Anne, I want to know what is she trying to accomplish? What am I trying to accomplish? How do those two things intersect? How can we find a win-win and, and a win-win-win when looking at the enterprise level? And so I think I'm a big proponent of, of learning by doing and being in a situation where you're providing scenarios that are real. Because like, as you mentioned, Mark, sometimes it does feel like, I guess, you know, teamwork means compromise, but until you practice that, unless you're in, you know, real world situations and you're able to say, well, how can we come to a win-win-win in this situation when we're having to make really difficult high stakes decisions? Or if I'm trying to make sure that you know, my senior leader knows that I'm innovative and, 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 and doing great things and driving results. And, and how can I do that when I, you know, is it me or Anne? I, I live in the and. I love that living in that intersection where you do that extra little bit of work to be creative and curious and say, how can we find a situation that actually helps myself, my colleague who may be in a different uh, business unit um, and ultimately helps the, the company. I think for any sort of leadership training, it's practicing that in safe environments and sometimes simulated environments before you're in that situation where, you know, the stakes are super high and you, you, need, to, you need to do that sort of thing, um, work as a team. Um, so it's something that we talk about incessantly, the power of we uh, and turning the me to we so that people can practice at all levels of the organization. That makes sense. And you, with your, both your work uh, that you're doing live as well as the virtual work, uh, could you talk about this idea of collaboration? I think it ends up being one where we have this challenge, not only of people sometimes thinking it's uh, a compromise, and yet the organization hasn't always incentivized. Um, and I don't mean this in an economic sense. I mean, in terms of the behaviors at the top that cascade or the behaviors you see in a boss, is it about me or is it about we? But what's your take at, at Ecolab? Well, it's such a great question. And as I was listening to Peme, a couple of things came up for me. First of all, I loved this idea of how do we find a win-win-win. Um, my background, my studies were all in collective bargaining and conflict resolution. And so I'm a big fan of the win-win-win. And they're, they're usually out there, you know. Um, I think what's been really interesting as a lens through which to look at collaboration lately is the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion which has perhaps never been more sharply in focus than it is right now. It doesn't suggest that it's a new problem. It doesn't suggest that it shouldn't have been more sharply in focus for many, many, many years now. But I think that we've had a bit of a um, sort of corporate America reckoning around the role that diversity and equity inclusion needs to have as center and central in the work that we do as a team. And I think that that has sharpened our commitment to collaboration. Because I think without sort of an inclusion-based lens, there can be a tendency to listen to the loudest voice, to take the most expedient route, to trust the person who's done it for you before and seems to know um, how to get from A to B with the least amount of disruption. And what happens is when you lean into those behaviors, you fail to include the voices that might offer different perspectives. You talked a little bit about innovation earlier. Um, this idea that Without collaboration, without inclusion, we can't have collaboration. Without collaboration, we can't have um, winning ideas. We can't continue to delight our customers. We can't continue to be a leader in the marketplace for our brands and for our solutions. I think it's very much an area of focus at Ecolab. Um, and, and 
these things have sort of come together for us. The crisis of the pandemic, which had a significant impact on our business and required that we think really differently about serving servicing customers, the way our supply chain works. So you've got that sort of vector. Um, an inclusion and diversity and equity crisis that really required that we look in the mirror and understand which of our behaviors are productive and which are not. And then this remote and dispersed workforce where people who might have normally been able to come together and solve problems in more familiar ways were constrained. Those three things have really I think push the edges of our assumptions about collaboration. And to your point, we've had a couple of pretty exciting examples where it was the opposite of compromise. It was breakthrough where one and one equal three, you know, sort of to Pame's point. And I think our CEO and his team are incredibly dedicated to this idea of figuring out how to use collaboration as a real strategic advantage for our company. Mark, if I may, one of the things that, that Anne just said that I think really important is that collaboration is a choice inclusion is a choice that it requires intention yeah. and practice. And it's not just, you don't come to a place where you're a collaborative group by just happenstance, right? You don't become an inclusive leader by happenstance, but having leaders throughout the organization committed to saying, this is the way we work. This is who we want to be. And so I love those examples. And because it really underscores the choice element, which, which gives people uh, inspiration right? Take it on yourself. And that's another form. That's the form of ownership, right? That you want. I'm choosing to find that win-win-win. I'm choosing to collaborate often with voices that don't sound like mine or people who come from different backgrounds. Um, so I love that choice element that you highlighted in your examples. Well, thank you. And it's 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 self, um, self-fulfilling and self-building. So to your point on incentivizing, I mean, when we make choices individually and when we sort of codify the value of those choices as an organization, when we say this is the kind of behavior that we really celebrate and this is the kind of behavior that we discourage, then you start to see both um, the, the expectations that Pemme talked about, as well as sort of individual agency and commitment really line up. People start to think about the way to really win here is through these behaviors. It is no longer through behaviors that may have once served me. And I think that that's, that's really powerful. I think it, this, the points that you're both making around this are um, particularly insightful, I think, for those of us who continue to see in every, perhaps every organization, a, a rate of change and transformation that just doesn't quit. I mean, the only thing that we can really count on is change. And, and being able to enforce that change and have a team willing to transform themselves, scale themselves as fast as the business needs to be scaled is, a, is an enormous challenge. And so the table stakes or the consequences of, of those decisions as a team have, have shifted enormously over time. When you think about the type of people and the type of backgrounds they come from who you're trying to recruit. I remember Peter Drucker always talking about the job of a leader is you've just described 90% of it to, to develop and promote those people to work together towards common outcomes. The first piece of this is recruiting. And there seems to be a constraint these days, as it turns <laughs> out, to find the knowledge workers and the people who would be in alignment and yet bringing new, fresh, innovative views that may or may not be comfortable uh, into an organization. Could you talk about that, how that extends to the, to the recruiting process? Pame? I mean, when I'm listening to you talk about um, the types of people I want on my team, the type of, type of people we want to attract, I'm always looking for lifelong learners. To your point about things are moving so fast, 
um, that, you know, we've, we, we all know about the fact that, you know, the skills and the capabilities that are relevant now and, you know, a year, two years, five years will cease to be. So you need to find people who really embrace the fact that they are, that learning is their superpower and they can learn their way through it. If there's a new challenge or a new situation or even a new group of people they need to collaborate with, they, that they really pull from the fact that, you know what, okay, great. What do I need to know? And how can I find access to that knowledge so that I can learn whatever it is that's necessary to solve this problem, perhaps that we've never seen before, to work with this group of people who are unfamiliar to me. And so when it comes down to it, I think that is the skill or the capability or the superpower that I look for, develop, embrace, model, champion, is the idea of learning um, as something that can help to drive transformation, which is, as to your point, we're going through in so many different areas of the business and so many different industries, disruption, innovation, all of those things. And so the lifelong learning piece is where I would uh, plant my flag. Mm-hmm. I would I would plant mine right next to next to <laughs> yours. The thing I would the thing I would I would add two things. Um, the first is empathy. Uh, we are an incredibly customer focused organization, and um, the challenges our customers face around the world continue to um, be quite varied. And that the number of customers that we have and the composition of our customers is also really broad and varied. And so I think being able to root your learning and your experience and your intention in understanding others' perspective it has always been important and is now indispensable. It's essential. You can't, I think, effectively navigate for very long in the absence of well-honed empathy. Um, the other piece I would say is that organizations, um, and people have been talking about this for years. Uh, I, I remember in being in grad school 20 years ago and hearing about this, but again, it, it's moved from optional to more necessary. This idea that organizations have, I think, a systemic and shared accountability to build leaders. We have for a very long time been able to go into the marketplace and look for somebody who's sort of ready-made for us. They have the right experiences, the right skills, the right educational background. They've, they've worked for the right companies. They've led the right size teams. They've lived in the right geographies. And you go tick, 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 tick. Perfect, we'll take them. And then they come to your organization and you push them into a, a new role and they're off to the races. And I think that fundamentally, we're going to see more mess here. We're asking leaders to do things they've never done before. Career paths are a lot more unpredictable. And there is a shortage of knowledge workers, to your point a moment ago. So the question needs to become, what can you, what can you develop? What potential can you see? And, and Mark, honestly, the point you made a minute ago about collaboration becomes so much more critical because it's who can we surround them with? With whom can they partner and team to be able to learn, grow, and have the impact that we know that they can? Um, but this idea of sort of renting um, talent from, from a worker, this idea that they just come ready to deliver everything, I, I think it's less true than it's ever been before. I think we owe them, you know, it's a little bit of uh, that reciprocity uh, mix is shifting. Not only do we owe them a paycheck and interesting and engaging work, we owe them ongoing development because they will come in with skills that may not be perfect or they will have skills that may not be perfect as the roles evolve to PEMA's really important point. Those would just be a couple things I'd add. Well, I'd love to actually pull on that thread for both of you to, to, to wrap up this discussion today because and to get you to weigh in on it. I happen to have married up uh, in my family and I'm uh, a, a collaborator with and a learner from uh, Dr. Benita Thompson at the University of Pennsylvania and who's working with Harvard on this study around collaboration and realized there'd never been any academic scientific research 
on collaboration, believe it or not, in the education or leadership space. It's happened in, in other ways around Six Sigma or in engineering or sometimes in, in uh, different types of technical uh, professions, but not really been drilled down to here. And one of the insights she had that I'd love to have you weigh in on, especially as it relates to getting this new talent in place and then helping our existing talent version even faster uh, for this large, larger context that she found is really fascinating. The study is focusing entirely on C-suite executives in terms of their experiences. And what she found was that people were often a very attractive candidate at any point in their career, from the beginning to mid to senior levels, if they showed incredible confidence that they had this, that they were able to deliver. And because of the, certainly the combination of a shortage and also the demand for change, we're looking for that. This is what you could do. You can make this happen. This is, this is what we did in the past. And these are what are the emergent confident uh, features of that person that can be very helpful in, in attracting that talent. But not all, all people show up that way, of course, and not, that's not the only kind of way to lead. And what she found was that you know six months later, sometimes some of those characteristics are annoying if they don't include collaboration and how the team actually made this happen and it wasn't about me and everything I loved about him or her, I now hate three months later because they're not working with anyone else and you guys get the phone call. Could you talk about that balancing act in terms of not being head faked by personality, uh, especially when we're thinking about diverse voices and, and inclusion of, of a broader way of, of, of teamwork? That's how I'd like to leave this discussion. Maybe we start with you, Anne, and then, and then Pame. And, uh, one of the ways I've had people characterize this since I'm asking 14 questions in one was, you know, kind of what do you wish you knew as a 20-year-old about uh, <laughs> how to express confidence and capacity, you know, and what would you be looking for in that person as she showed up <laughs> knocking on the door? Yeah, I, um, for me, what I often see the best leaders do is focus on making sure they have the right questions and less worry about making sure they have the right answers. What I find really great leaders do is surround themselves with people they trust and can empower and focus a lot of their time on directing um, prioritization and exploration through inquiry. And so I, I think a lot about that when we are screening for, for leaders for our company and I watch how people interact through the selection process, which for us includes assessments and interviews and you know, sort of all the natural things you would consider. And we look for people who are conveners. We look for people who are curious. We look for people who are self-aware. We look for people who are comfortable enough in their own skin to say, I don't have it all figured out at all. That's why we're here together. This isn't a, a solopreneurship. You know, if I had it all figured out, I'd, I'd go work on an island all alone. Um, instead, my job is to help us figure out where we're going together. You can really start to see those things in the track record a leader has had and how they present their experiences. You know, the, the use of, of I and we, you know, Pemi talked about that. You talked about that a minute ago. I think there are clues in a person's candidacy throughout. And I think, you know, again, back to equity and inclusion, being really sensitive to your own biases around what a leader looks like. Um, you know, the research is pretty clear and compelling that what we thought for many, many years a leader looked like is in fact a pretty narrow and insufficient definition of what a leader looks like indeed. So I great. I, yeah, I would also echo that 
looking at the person's track record and the choices that it, that they've made have given clues. <laughs> Mark, it's just funny that you asked about my 20 year old self. Um, <laughs> Uh, because even back then, I, I felt like I, and this is personal as well as professional, that, that when you run into somebody who can balance humility and excellence, then that is like this amazing, you're in, like, I want to just sit and learn from that person. Mm-hmm. And so that idea of being confident, absolutely be confident in what you know, what your strengths are, what your experience are, where you've seen success, but humble enough to say, and these are the things I still want to learn or, or need to learn. So you don't end up in a situation where you have a know-it-all and everyone's like, I just say you don't know, or just, you know, it's okay. Like we are all learning together, especially in a place where we're creating something that hasn't been created before. And so it's, it's humility, it's excellence, it's humanity and ambition. It's to your point and empathy and hustle. And so that balance is what you're looking for. If you're looking for that rock star, which is another word that I don't necessarily love anymore because it just has so much so much baggage. baggage, right? Exactly. <laughs> but you know that when you talk about your uh, uh, Dr. Thompson, your your partner's um, <laughs> a, a research and looking for that confidence, you also want to make sure that they can speak in a balanced way. That their choices have also show that they have some balance, so that when you're in that situation where you really need to show that humanity or that humility or that empathy, that they know how to do that because that's what you, you need to have in a leader when you are all in a situation like the one we've been in for the past 18 months where nobody knew the answer. Like every little, every single question was like, I don't know, best guess, let's talk about it. Let's see what we think. Let's make, you know, take the information we have and make the best choices that we can and link arms and have each other's backs and then figure out what happens when things happen the way we thought they they would or the way that we didn't expect. And so I think that's the, it's the balance piece that you're looking for. I absolutely want to have someone who is who is confident and who has all of those things and that you mentioned in terms of you know, education and experience and all of those things. But I also want to make sure that person has that flip side, that, that the, the humility and the humanity and the empathy so that I know that they'll be, you know, a pleasure to work with, you know, going <laughs> forward in difficult conversations and difficult situations. That, uh, that sense of knowing that there are going to be difficult situations when you're transforming quickly uh, and that uh, I think I also appreciated Anne's word about it being messy uh, mm-hmm. along the way. When you're trying to do great stuff, um, when you're making Kraft Heinz delicious, uh, it gets messy in the kitchen. And then the presentation's brilliant uh, and beautiful. And Ecolab is making our world safer um, and cleaner and healthier in all the environments that people work. So uh, the two of you are quite an inspiration to all of us who realize that these sorts of challenges aren't a conundrum or a paradox, but um, this genius of the end. And so I'm so grateful to be able to have your guidance and insights tonight and, and have the opportunity to, to talk about this as a conversation that continues to evolve as we emerge into this next phase of, phase of the growth. So thank you, Pemé. Thank you, Anne, for being with us today. Thanks for listening to the Chief Executive Podcast. I'm Mark Thompson, and please don't forget to like and subscribe for more episodes every week.